God, we love you. I pray as we sit here before the Word of God and the Spirit of God this morning that we'll allow your presence to work in our hearts. God, that we would desire the eternal versus over the temporal. For your glory we pray in Christ's name, amen. I typed in the phrase, things people desire. And I found this article, I just skimmed through it, thousand things that people desire to do in life. I mean, I'd be excited to, you know, have 10, but not really. But here are a thousand things. And there was all kind of things that were listed. There was one category called sky adventures. You know, skydiving, hang gliding, flying a flying a plane. Well, two of those things are appealing to me, minus the plane, but it would be kind of cool, skydiving, um, hang gliding. Talked about land adventures. I'm not sure about boarding down a volcano. I'm assuming the volcano is not live, um, but boarding down a volcano. Running with the bulls, I could skip that. Extreme rock climbing. I don't mind a little rock climbing, but extreme is beyond my ability. Um, water adventures, polar bear, plunge, I don't like cold. Um, swimming in the Dead Sea. Some of us will be doing that, Lord willing, next year. Um, swimming with crocodiles. We won't be doing that in the <laughs> Dead Sea. Um, diving with sharks. So a whole variety of things. Then there were places to see, motorsports, water sports, um, like whitewater, kayaking, jet skiing. Sounds fun. But then there were places to stay. I don't know why places to stay. Buckingham Palace or the White House. You can't stay in those places, but they were on the list. Um, unusual jobs. How many of you would like to be a pet detective? About an unusual job, a crocodile wrangler. You like, you know, you like that? I mean, just weird things that people desire. I wasn't surprised, but it's pretty sobering and sad to, to realize there's nothing spiritual on that list. There was nothing spiritual. It wasn't people saying, you know, I, I just desire to lead my neighbor to Christ. Or I desire to be, make an impact in my, in my community for Jesus Christ. I want them to see the light that I am in, at, at the office or at the job site, but not just by the way I live, but by the words that I speak. So what would our desires be? If we were to have such a list and we would write down a thousand things that we want to, to do or maybe even ten things, what would they be? Well, I want us to look in 2 Corinthians 4 that maybe could help shape that list if you were to draw up such a list. Things that we could shape or desires that we should pursue that are shaped by verses 16 to 18. The first one that I see in verse 16, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Desire the spiritual over the physical, the spiritual over the physical. And Paul is, is speaking here of a spiritual emphasis and he begins immediately with an eternal emphasis because he writes in verse 16, so we do not lose heart. As I already referenced, verse 15 and verse one, kind of like our, our, our 16 and one, are kind of like bookends, not lose heart. He begins in the whole chapter with that phrase and then he ends here, here in verse 16, he's not losing heart. But if you look at what follows verse 1, or in verse 1, and then what is around verse 16, it becomes pretty sweet why he's not losing heart. He comes out of chapter 3, verse 18, and he's talking about the glory of, of the Lord and being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what he's after. But then he says in verse 1, having this ministry by the mercy of God, I have, I have this ministry that God gave me. I don't lose heart. 
He focuses on God's mercy to him. Now, ministry, yeah, Paul was divinely called of God to be in ministry, to be a witness, to be a, a, a spreader of the good news and to plant churches. But in a real sense, we have been also. We've been given the Great Commission. We've been given just as much in a sense as Paul. But he writes here that not only the mercy, but then as we drop down to verse 16, we see two more things that, that are couched around this phrase. In verse 14, Paul was speaking of the resurrection of Christ, the prospect of Christ's triumphant resurrection, that we will be with him someday. That just drove Paul because he understood what he was. He was dead spiritually, but now as he's in God's family, he's been made alive, that he's been resurrected, and that future sweet reality to be resurrected, to be united, joined with Christ, just drove Paul to overlook the horizontal challenges. May I even say the horizontal joys of life because his eyes were set on, on the spiritual. And then one other thing that, that I see in verse 15 off of this phrase that he speaks of, of giving increasing thanksgiving to the glory of God. Paul was changed and he just wanted to always give glory to God, give praise to God. That's what drove him. That's what motivated him. He understood who he was, understood what God had done, and that was changing how he was to live. So, so he wrote, we don't lose heart. I'm, I'm not going to get discouraged. We're not going to get, the, this phrase means to get weary, um, to be tired, um, to get so bothered by, by what's happening. You just feel like you're, you're, you're giving up. You're despairing. You're, you're just ready to quit. But Paul's saying, I'm not going to, in the midst of all of the difficulties. And I think it's fair to say that if we were to combine a lot of our difficulties together, we're not going to come close to Paul, right? I mean, Paul was shipwrecked. Paul was, was stoned um, with stones and left for dead. He was beaten many times, 30, short of 40. Uh, and on and on, his challenge, starvation and hunger and cold and persecution and imprisonment. That's the life of Paul. But he says, I don't lose heart. I'm not going to lose heart. Why, why couldn't he lose heart? Why wasn't he? Because his eyesight was set on the what? Not set on the physical, but it's on the spiritual. He's set on more because he, he, looks at, he talks about the outer man. He says, my outer man is, is, is wasting away. It's that means to, to perish. It's, it's spoiling. It's like leave banana out on your counter for three or four days. What happens? Little flies start to come around or other food that's left and worms and bugs. Well, it's, it's rotting away. And, and That's what Paul's saying. My body is wasting away. My, my outer man, the physical, this thing here, it, it's, it's wasting away. Now, not just because we're getting older, Right? Paul lived a hard life. I, I think it's fair to say that he probably was older beyond his years. Just the, the, the physical beating that he took literally from people, from the enemies of the gospel of Christ. But Paul says, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on the spiritual. I'm not focusing on the physical. Yesterday attending... Um, James Larisha's brother's funeral. I had the, the graveside service. And I got there about maybe 20 minutes before the um, um, funeral party got there. And just walked the gravesite, thinking of my message that I was to speak today, and sitting on, um, I want to say Caldwell, bench that they had in the family 
family, tombstones all around me, and just praying and thinking through life and realizing pretty soon this beautiful scenery, I will be in such a place apart from the return of Jesus Christ. But you know what? We all will be. To be reminded of the physical. And Paul says, there's more to life than just the physical. His, he's focused on the spiritual. Look at how he, he attaches the next phrase and what he says. Not only is my old outer man is, is wasting away, my inner self is being renewed day by day. Why doesn't Paul lose heart? Why doesn't he get discouraged? Why isn't he upset? Why doesn't he whine? Man, these guys just aren't fair. Can you believe what they did to me over here? Man, I'm not sure why God is allowing me to go through all of this. Because he says, I'm not, I'm not losing sight that my inner man, he says, is being renewed day by day. He says, my inner person. You know what the inner man is? Check it out in Romans 6, Colossians 3, and Ephesians 4. The one that puts their faith and trust in Christ is really is borrowing Ephesians 2.10. Also, we are his workmanship. That God does a new work on the soul when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. We become a new man in Christ. And he says that inner man, that immaterial part of me, that soul is being renewed, is being in, invigorated every day. It's being strengthened every day. He says, no matter what happens on the outward here, on the physical challenges of life, his walk with God is so real. And he's remembering the mercies of God and he's thankful for all that God has done in his life. That he says that no matter the, even the challenges that I'm facing, I'm just being renewed every day. I mean, it's pretty amazing when you see that the man's being beaten up, but he's able to stand and smile he says, because every day as I walk with God and as I serve God, I'm in the ministry fulfilling his mission on earth. I'm just being renewed. I'm being strengthened. I'm being charged up. May that be true of each one of us in our lives as we walk with God, as we desire the, 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 the spiritual over the physical, that we'll be charged up, that we'll be renewed daily. Paul didn't lose heart. He didn't get discouraged over what people did to him or what people said to him or what people attempted to do against him. Paul continually realized that he was in a decaying, weakening body, but that he pursued the more. He was living for more. He was able to rise above the physical challenges that he was faced. He was able to be to be uh, above his, tr- his persecutions and, and um, difficulties because God was renewing him day by day. Paul was far more concerned. Hear me on this. Paul was far more concerned over the spiritual than over the physical. He was able to be renewed. He was able to live victoriously because he was more concerned for the spiritual, the eternal. He had had the light of the gospel shine in his life and he understood the mercy of God and he was thankful for that and he gave praise to God. The power of God was upon him and he was a driven man. He was looking for the spiritual. May that be our desire. May we wake each day and say, God, I desire the spiritual. I desire to know you deeper. I desire to know you better. Use me. Renew me today as I am just drinking in your word, your truth. Let me flesh it out to bring you glory. Verse 17, desire the future over the present. In a sense, they're all intertwined, aren't they? The spiritual, the future, the temporal, the physical, 
over the present. Verse 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I read some years ago a story, true story of an um, older English gentleman that was working, doing some road work with a friend of his. And he was a great witness for Jesus Christ, this man. He was continually talking about what God had done in his life. And on their um, particular site where they were working, a car, limousine, slowly drove by. And this man's colleague said, do you know who's in that car? And he mentioned the man's name. He was driven by a chauffeur. He says, there he sits in the back seat. His chauffeur drives. He is a wealthy man. He doesn't have any of the problems that you have in life. Here you have to, as an older man, you still have to be working just to eke out a, a meager living. And this man said, are you trying to tempt me to sin, friend? He says, counter heaven with it. Counter heaven with it. You know what he was saying? He says, look at eternity in light of this. He says, I'm not looking at the temporal. I'm not looking at this man and his his." his fat paycheck and salary and his luxury and what he had to be driven. This man one day would be, may I say, so to speak, driven by a chariot of angels to heaven because he's looking at the future. And this is Paul's focus here that he's looking. He says, all of this, this, this affliction that I have, these challenges that I have, he refers to it as light. How many of you would think to be stoned in Lystra left for dead, did God do a miracle and raise him back from dead? That, that would be just pretty, that's light affliction. Or how about a rod and you're beaten 39 times, short, three times, short, thir- short of 40. Is that light? Or have to escape out of Damascus or how to, to be shipwrecked or how to be, to be smitten and on and on the list goes. But he says all of these problems, they're, they're light. Um, they're like a feather to me. Because he's understanding they're so, they're so, they're so temporary. They're, they're insignificant. It's easy for him to bear. He's not losing sleep over them. He's not upset over them. All of the challenges in the present life, he says, I'm able to bear their light because he experienced the mercy of God in his life. He never got away from that. He says, this ministry, this mercy of God that I had, he never got over his dark, dead, depraved condition. He referred to that in verses 4 to 6, the light. He understood who he was outside. He was blind one day physically, but the God that turned the lights on at creation turned the lights on in his life spiritually. He was able to see. He was motivated. He was driven. He chose the future over the present because he never forgot what God in his grace had done. He said, it's just, it's, it's a light, it's a light, it's a light thing. It's no big deal. It's a light momentary affliction. Momentary, something that's going to be gone really fast, quickly. And he's looking at, this is what I'm after. This is light, but I'm after this thing that's really heavy. And he's referring to his eternal weight. See that word weight? Eternal weight of glory. He says, I'm looking at this, this future, this future weight that I'll have. And he says, beyond all comparison. Now, the word hyperbole, we think of it as something, exaggeration that's not true, right? Um, but this Greek word hy- um, hyperbole is used twice in this passage. And it's exaggerating or putting a lot, not ex- putting a lot of weight on something, trying to make a point. 
And he uses that word in unique grammar construction twice in verse 17 to stress the awesomeness of this future weight of glory that is his. It's like he's scrambling for words and he can't express how awesome heaven's going to be, how incredible this future is. Here's a man that's, that's focused and able to go through all of the hardships and challenges of life because of the future focus that he has. He says, this is just a light momentary affliction. What I'm going through is just so temporary. It's nothing. This adversity is nothing compared to what I'm looking at in the future, this extreme excess weight, this extreme incredible privilege that I have that is going to be mine. See, he kept his eyes on the goal. And what was the goal? The goal was heaven. We might borrow the language of Philippians 3 that he pressed towards the mark of the high prize of the calling of God in Christ Jesus. But as a man that was focused because of what God had done in his life. It's good for us to be reminded. And that's why I love hearing testimonies of people that are interested in joining our our church just to be able to hear. It's just good to be reminded of God's grace. Whether it's as a young adult, whether it's an older adult, whether it's a, a, a child, or whether it's a teenager, to hear of God's grace. May we never get over that. Paul was willing to sacrifice the pleasures of, of this life, um, the pursuits of this life, the happiness of this life for the life to come. He made an investment that would pay forward, so to speak. He made an investment that would go forward. He understood the eternal weight of glory. So the choices he made, the actions that he, that he pursued, the plans that he made, it was all with a future investment mindset. I'm afraid I, but so I could get the guilt off of me, may I draw you into my circle? I'm afraid we put too much emphasis on the, on the temporary but he was after an eternal mindset. Do the choices we make in life, do the choices I make in life show that I desire the future more than the present? You know, we could save our money or we could partake of, separate some of it and make more of an eternal impact when we think of the laptops, think of missionary support, Christian worker support, any ministries in that sheet. I mean, as we're, we're looking at something just, just beyond us, but that's for you to pray um, individually as we put it before God. God, what can I do for your cause? But Paul made choices. Paul made his, his actions show that, that he valued the future glory more than stuff right now, more than the present. And the plans, do my plans show that I, that I value? You know, sitting in a, in a graveside in a cemetery is, is probably something we should do more often. It's a good reminder that that's where we're heading. But God, help my, my plans. I, I don't know that I have 30 years. If I l- have my dad's genes, poor Lynn, 36 more years at least. But we don't know if we have 36 days, 36 hours. But God, let me pursue the future. Maybe not be so wrapped up in, 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 in this life that I forget really what life is to be about. You see, it's not about schooling. It's not about even our job. We do those things so that we could be a part of God's work full time and wherever you are. We're going to be the best employee that we can be. But God, let me be on mission where I am. I'm going to be the best neighbor that I can be. I'm going to have... 
my house is going to be run down. I'll, I'll spend some time and fix it up so it's not an embarrassment. But God, may I use it to be, be on mission for you. God, my vacation time. How can I even use my vacation time? They go, maybe on mission trips. God, I want to be on mission for you full time. Third desire that I see in this passage is desire the eternal over the temporal. Paul says, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Do you know who Hassanai Bokai is? You're familiar with that name? I wasn't. Um, he's a sultan of Brunei. His net worth is reported to be about 20 to 50 billion dollars, somewhere in that range. What's a couple billion amongst friends? He has the world's largest collection of Rolls Royces at 600. Um, he holds, you ready for this? The Guinness Book of World Record for the largest single family residence on earth. Um, his residence cost him $350 million, which really doesn't tell us a lot because maybe labor was cheaper there. But this does tell us a lot. His floor area, you know what, you know what a square footage area of his, of his residence is? Now, I think 3,000 is a lot. 4,000 is a lot. 6,000, let me get the kids and play hide and seek. Um, but now, you ready for this? Over 2 million square feet. I should have sat down and thought of all the houses that, the, you know, that the, maybe the church and, and school has. And, and what, I think it probably doesn't come quite to 30,000 square feet. Um, this is bizarre. 2,152,782 square feet. It's 1,788 rooms. Almost 1,800 rooms. Get this, 257 bathrooms. Now, I did a little bit of, you know, if, it, if you could do... <laughs> if you could do about 15 bathrooms a day cleaning it, I mean, I mean you're going to need two and a half people just to clean the bathrooms every week. <laughs> it's crazy. Two and a half uh, workers needed for that. Or move on. He has five swimming pools. Well, why isn't one enough? I'm talking about indoor pools. Five swimming pools. He has a banquet hall that can hold 5,000 visitors. He has a church, um, I mean, he has a parking garage, 110 car parking garage. Um, he has, oh, that's, by the way, for his custom-made. That's the key word. There are custom-made Ferraris, Lamborghinis, Bentleys, and Rolls-Royces. And one car I didn't recognize, so I didn't write it down. <laughs> and he has a mosque which can accommodate 1,500 worshipers. I mean, we could do, okay, I don't know if he has a balcony in his mosque. Probably not. Um, but we're six, six, 600 here. So flatten out. I mean, the thing's going to be shooting out towards the, um, the buses in the back there. And we don't want to be against animal rights, so he has an aerated um, stables for 200 polo horses. You know, you don't have to be the wealthiest person or one of the wealthiest people in the world to live for temporal things, right? I don't have to be some sultan to have a, a desire for temporal things. Um, you could be the, one of the poorest people on earth and still desire things, that would be wrong. Here's Paul's words in Corinthians 7, 31. For the present form of this world is passing away. People forget that, that this, this world, this mode is temporary. It's passing away. We forget the words of James when he wrote in chapter four, what is your life? It is a vapor for a brief period of time. It appears and vanishes away. That it's gone so quickly. But it's really the hyphen 
that matters from 1958 to whenever? What is that hyphen? What's the life that's lived in between there? You know, for us to be able to apply Colossians chapter 3, to set our minds on things above, not on things below. Or Matthew chapter 6, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. To seek the eternal over the temporal. But Paul says, I look not. This word look means to fix your gaze. Like my gaze is fastened right on your handsome outfit, Solomon. I'm just looking. Man, if I was to keep looking, it would get a little weird. But, um, but it's to fix your gaze and not to move it. This is, this is what it doesn't mean. You see what I did there? Just a passing quick glance. That's the exact opposite. It's the fixity of an eyesight, focus, staring at something, looking it right down, checking it out, keeping your eyes focused on that. That's what Paul's saying. I don't look at things that are, that are seen. He says, I'm not looking at those things that are, that are transient, that are temporal, that are fleeting, that are, that are gone so quickly. He says, my focus, my, my emphasis isn't on those things. But what are those things? I think those things are, are temporal ideas that we might have. Temporal values, temporal possessions, standards, even achievements. All of these things that, that are so temporary that are gone when this life is done. Paul says, my eyesight, my, my, my focus isn't on those things. The allurement of this passing world didn't have Paul. He wasn't drawn into them. He wasn't interested in some temporal gains. He wasn't interested in, in nesting some retirement fund. He wasn't interested in buying some, some home that he could have maybe in Caesarea or Antioch when he's coming back, you know, a little pad to spread out. Paul wasn't, wasn't minded on any of those things. And I'm not saying that, that those things I mentioned are wrong, okay? But his focus, his heart wasn't in those things. That's when it becomes wrong. It wasn't in an earthly place or a prominent career. Some would probably look at Paul and say, Paul, you are an unenviable failure because you were schooled, you were trained by one of the most prominent rabbis of the day, and look at you now. In fact, they, they would call him some, some slang um, abusive word by, by saying that you're the ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. That was spoken derogatorily. I said, Paul, they're, they're, this is who you are. You're just some ringleader of some crazy sect of the Nazarene. But Paul's focus on the eternal versus the temporal. I want to ask you, what are the things that, what are the things that are eternal? When Paul says, I'm not focusing on the temporal, we've answered that. What are the things that he is focusing on the eternal? What might that be? I think they could be put into two categories, right? What, what do you think they are? Maybe we're, we could borrow almost from Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and soul, and man. So I think the two categories are the triune God, God. Paul says, I'm pursuing the eternal. I want to bring glory to God. I want to bring glory to Jesus Christ. I want to bring glory to God the Spirit. But he's also pursuing the souls of men. And I'll prove that if I may just a moment in, in some of the passages he wrote. In Romans chapter 11, these are just three verses. We could have wrote, written down 300, but we just went with three. Okay, maybe 30. Um, where he's praising God. And he writes in Romans 11, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Paul is just full of giving God praise. And he, he can't stop it. 
He, even if he wanted to, he couldn't stop it. Galatians chapter 1, to whom, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. Or in Ephesians, to whom be glory in the church of Jesus Christ through all eternity, amen. Paul was just full with giving God praise. So you see where his eyesight is set? It is set on the eternal. He's pursuing the eternal. He wants to bring God glory by the way that he lives. Do I want my life to count? Do you want your life to count? Then desire the eternal. Desire to give God praise. Desire to give God glory by the way we live. And that's the second truth that Paul hits on. And I didn't put these verses up, but there, there are so many verses. But he desired the souls of men. He wanted to reach men for Jesus Christ. And what he fixed his gaze on and didn't take it off was the souls of men. And we hear this heartbeat in these two references if I read them. Romans 9, 1 to 4. For I could wish that I myself were a curse separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, the Israelites. How many of you in this room can say, I wish that I could be separated from God forever so that my kinsmen would be saved. Wow. I'm not, I don't, I couldn't say that. Here's Paul. Uh, I'm willing to be in hell forever if my fellow Israelites would be saved. That's his heart. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, he wrote the sole reason of his pursuit. He says, to endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may obtain the salvation that's in Christ Jesus. He says, I am willing to endure everything for the ones that are being saved. Bill Hull in his book, Can We Save the Evangelical Church, wrote, the average evangelical church in North America exists for itself. Churches are preoccupied with themselves, their routines, their facilities, filling their buildings for performances, and on he went. I don't think our church is, for which I'm very grateful for that. But we as individuals sometimes can have that mindset, and that, that's wrong. God, may, may I not exist for myself. May I not be preoccupied with myself. May I not be preoccupied with our socials, our gatherings, our getting together. There's a deeper cause, a deeper reason. God, may I be a light for Jesus Christ where I am. May I seek to edify, to build up, to serve, to greet one another, love one another, admonish one another. Dr. James Dobson focused on the family in a book that he wrote, Gadzooks wrote this when speaking of the, the brevity of life and the impermanence of life and it's, and it's how quickly it passes. He was a professor for 14 years at USC Pediatrics um, Department and one of their professors had passed away and they um, had a little um, service for him and they, they all came around. And as they came around after the professor had passed, um, the chair of the department gave a five-minute eulogy and at the end of it, he says, let's just have 60 seconds of silence in here to remember our fallen colleague. And this colleague was a man that taught for 25 years at USC, greatly loved and esteemed. And Dobson wrote these words. 
Lord, is that what it all comes down to? We sweat and worry and labor to achieve a place in life to impress our fellow men with our competence. We take ourselves so seriously, overreacting to the insignificant events of each passing day. Then finally, experience fades into history and our lives are summarized with a five-minute eulogy of 60 seconds of silence. He would write this towards the end of his life. I've concluded that the accumulation of wealth, even if I could achieve it, is an insufficient reason for living. When I reach the end of my days, a moment or two from now, I must look backward on something more meaningful than the pursuit of houses and land and machines and stocks and bonds. I will consider my earthly existence to have been wasted unless I can recall a loving family, a consistent investment in the lives of people, and an earnest attempt to serve the God who made me. What defines our lives? There are a lot of different things that may define our lives. I assure you this is not my dollhouse, it's my daughter's. But you know, we get in life here, all these things, and we buy a house, and that's probably the, the greatest single investment that we could purchase. And we're going to be spend a lot of our time, we're fixing up the house, you're going to get nice azalea, or nice bushes, evergreens on the front there. Oh, but then the backside, that's where the action takes place, right? The family living, and you have this gorgeous home that's the envy of your neighbors, and all of this great stuff and beautiful home. This is probably 4,000 square feet going on right here. Um, Prince of Brunei wouldn't be too jealous though. But you know what? As gorgeous as this is, you know what? You see this? This sticker? It's temporary. It's temporary. We're not taking it with us. It's temporal. We spend all of that time painting, spackling first, then painting, putting up trim, taking care of the interior, taking care of the exterior, spending hours and hours and fixing up a home. Again, I'm not saying that, you know, some of that isn't bad, isn't, isn't good, but it's temporary. You know, then, of course, you can't just get, you got to go out and buy some of the best sofa on the market. I mean, you do some serious shopping. I mean, you're on the website, you're looking all over the place, but still, you know what it gets? It gets a label. It's temporary. My dad was an outstanding upholsterer. He made all of our sofas for us, but I think our sofa's been upholstered in my 40 years three times because they wear out, not because my kids were hard on it. They knew never to sit on the arms. You should never let your kids sit on the arms of sofas. <laughs> you know, but then you'll go, and you got to get a nice bed. Now, granted, I need a little bigger room than for this bed, but... You're going to put the same label on it. Maybe this bed's made out of oak. I mean, it's great, expensive, heavy, but it's still temporary. It's not going to last forever. In fact, probably by the time you pass on, your kids won't want it because it'll become outdated and all beaten up. You know, then you get some great cars. Man, I long have looked at, never bought it. <clears throat> Maybe there was a little envy. Um, but the black Z28. Or the Camaros. Oh, when John Tallis showed up and visited us on Long Island with his black Z28, kid in my youth group, it just wasn't right. <laughs> but it's temporary. Temporary. This car, if it's taken care of, might last 20 years. Probably will last 10. And then it's just in some trash heap. Temporary. Or you get 
sports, you get excited. What was it, three years ago, two and a half years ago, my team won the Super Bowl. Now they can't even win the bottom bowl. <laughs> They're terrible. But you know what? It's all, it's all temporary. You know, sports are temporary. We could put our attention into it. You could get every day on the, on the website. You're reading all about it. Players are gone. Players get hurt. It's temporary. It's temporal. It's nothing. It's gone. Or you look at some great vacation plot spots. I'm thinking this may not be the kind of vacation spot you all want, but it's kind of where my interest is, is a backpacker um, magazine. 35 great hikes. I'd look at these, and once I could stop visiting my kids and grandkids, we're going to hit the trail <laughs> trails. You know, but that's all temporary too. In fact, I probably can't do Grand Canyon hike anymore with my old age. I'm, you know, just wearing out. Um, but it's all temporary. You know, if we put our attention on these things, these things that are, that are all here, um, the temporal pleasures, temporal satisfaction, temporal possessions, it's temporary. But there is one thing that isn't temporary. What is that? Conrad, would you come here, please? There's one thing that will last forever. There's one thing that we can take with us. That's eternal. Thanks, friend. By God's grace, we can take the souls of people with us. This stuff is gone. But as we, we have our spiritual focus on that which is eternal, that which is, is, is in the future, by God's grace, we can make an impact. We can, make our, we can have our light shine. But it begins with us first, we that have had the light shine in our hearts and souls that we would share it with others by God's grace to be able to take a host with us someday in heaven. God, we can say we could sing songs about making us sensitive to those around us. But God, may we in our hearts allow you to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ so that we would become like our Savior who was on mission when he said he must go through Samaria. God, may we must go in our neighborhood. May we must talk to people about Christ. God, we love you. Thank you for taking away the darkness in our hearts. Thank you for the sweet person that shared the gospel with us so that we were able to put our faith and trust in Christ and the Spirit of God taking away our darkness and to experience the joy of heaven. In Christ's name, amen.